You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with John Powers. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. The figure in my work is me. The figure in my work is you. It's me placing objects. It's me, you know, putting things together. It's you standing near it. It's you in proximity, moving back and forth, moving around it. It's or us. One of the reasons... I make the things I do the way I make them is because I can't imagine them. I make things that I couldn't draw or even think about clearly. I can only look at them. I enjoy the complexity that I make because I'm striving to see it. And I think a lot about how other people look at it. I picture people moving around it in different light conditions and different settings as I work. There's a great story about a, a musician who lost the ability to create new memories. So he lived in a, a very small time frame of, you know, 60 seconds or 150, whatever the little buffer in his brain allowed. And as soon as he dropped out of that, he'd forget what he was talking about. He'd forget who you were, etc. Until he sat in, t- in front of a piano and he could draw that moment out. So he could play entire pieces of music that were much longer than he could possibly, you know, remember any longer. And he knew his condition. He was self-aware. He understood that something was wrong. And so there's this beautiful documentary about him where he weeps at the end of, you know, his piano piece because he knows what he's lost. He feels it. For your listeners who don't know me, we should at least address the elephant in the room which is this past spring in May, I was, had an accident with a table saw and I cut off the entirety of my thumb and ring finger and badly damaged my index and, and middle fingers. I'm wearing a prosthetic now for the first time. It's not wired to my body in any way. It doesn't respond to my mind. It is body driven. So it does respond to my mind in that way mechanically. So when I curl my hand, the digits curl inwards. I'm very new to this. This is a week old, I think I have. So I've only just begun working with it. This is my helper hand. My dominant hand is my right. So I'm very fortunate that you know I didn't lose my right thumb. Your helper hand is exactly like a helper in a studio. And I don't know if you work with assistants when you paint and so on. But my experience with assistance is that two people can do three times as much as one person. That one person can do anything two people can do. It just takes three times as long. And the effort, so, you know, to move a a generator into the back of a truck with two guys, boom, it's in, you're done. To do it by myself, I have to find some wood, build a ramp, roll it up be careful, you know, set it up so it doesn't fall off, et cetera. It's a lot more effort on my part. It's a lot more time. That's exactly what it's like to lose your, your helper hand. I find that I'm able to do everything I was doing before, or at least that I've tried to do. Um, I'm not doing some things like I'm not working on a saw yet simply because I don't feel like I have the control that I wanted to get the prosthesis and really master it. So I'll start working on saws again this spring. I gave myself the time off. So I'm doing other things. I'm teaching myself how to do. So right now I'm doing collage in my studio. But again, this is, this is less than a week old. So this is, all, this is all very new to me. 
big question a lot of people have asked me is how my art will change. For myself, I would like to get back to what I was doing. I'd like to be, to feel that same competence, to feel the ability to do everything I did before. I doubt I would do something literal, like start doing figurative work about hands, for instance. I think probably it's, it will be more conceptual. It will be more procedural. What for you is the importance of art and creativity and why is sculpture your chosen language? I started out, I think like a lot of young people, I, I was really interested in animation and comic books, things like that. And at some point in high school, I started working in 3D. I had a facility for it that, you know, I, I really worked very hard to become a draftsman, but I didn't work very hard to become a sculptor. That came to me easily after high school. I was able to find a sculptor on the West Coast who I apprenticed with and worked with for six years, three years sort of intense, and then three more years on my own as a master craftsman doing bronze casting. And that was interesting. It was, it was figurative art, sort of an extension of the comic books and so on that I was interested in high school. But I, I reached a place with it, uh, a break, because bronze casting a lot of what you do, a lot of how you make money is religious work, uh, war memorial work, things that I, I, I didn't feel a connection to. My audience was older. The people I was working with were older. I was in my 20s. I felt simpatico with the people I worked with politically, ideologically, but the people I was working for, I felt more and more distant from. So I decided to go back to school and I moved to New York. I never thought about not doing sculpture when I came here. There's lots of other things I'm interested in. I loved studying color theory, very interested in design and architecture, but really I felt most at home, most capable of sort of shaping a discussion within sculpture. And I discovered things like minimalism and installation art, you know, Matthew Barney and Dan Flavin and things that really lit me up. And so I stuck with it and here I am. There's this dialogue that takes place, what you're talking about, with who were the end recipients of your art. And if you don't feel that there's a dialogue, it, maybe it becomes less satisfying for you. Or the meaning that you put into it, they put in another meaning. When it's so far apart from your joy of making, there's interesting questions there about abstraction, making art that has a quite distinct meaning. So are you more drawn to something that is more loosely interpretive? Maybe partly joking, but I like to describe myself as making art about abstraction. That we have gone through, you know, history with modernism where abstraction was believed to have very clear meanings, universality, you know, some sort of like primary language or, or some sort of touch to some sort of primary form, neutrality, you know, absolute neutrality, or, you know, even like, you know, some sort of touch on the the core, the, the pre-lingual, you know, ness of a person's, you know, an empathetic. Um, all of these ideologies failed, you know, one after another. And, but they all produced really interesting, beautiful work that I love, that I'm interested in, that I look at a lot, that I look back to, and I enjoy thinking about. So for my own work, 
it, it's less about ambiguity and more about just thinking about this history that's peculiar to our times. Abstract art is, is an invention of, of, of the modern era. You know, you, you can point to cinema as extensions of picture making, as extensions of architecture, as extensions of music making. You know, it, it's sort of a, a master art that's swept in all the other arts, but it is in fact still in many ways uh, traditional art. Abstraction really isn't. Abstraction really calls on us to sort of think differently, to think in a contemporary way. I'm interested in people who can think in the three dimensions. And I think that it's been observed by many people that now we're, we're living in a very visual age. And yet in many ways, it's a flattened age with all of us glued to our screens or particularly in these uh, last few pandemic years, the social isolation. So it seems to me the service of public art and sculpture and bringing people together around an object that, that's tangible like we want to touch again and it would be interesting how you say that you almost couldn't think of them so it's like the action precedes the thought or is alongside it because I think a long times people are very unaware of the extent to which we embody our thoughts like it's I think therefore I am they think it originates here up in the head and then it acts out into the world but a lot of us feel like we're all up here that might be the big problem that humans have that we're all up <laughs> here and it doesn't get down here yeah Descartes there that's actually something I've thought about a great deal I think therefore I am versus I feel therefore I am there's a neuroscientist named Antonio Damasio who wrote a book called I think therefore uh, Descartes error and another one called the feeling of what happens and he's been on my mind a lot because he writes about phantom limbs and I experienced a phantom limb. And he talks about the fact that if, say you have a sibling and something happened to them, they have a stroke or a fever or an accident of some sort that destroyed their ability to make and understand language. That the two of you could sit down, you couldn't speak, but you could smile and you could touch you could still love one another. You could, they would still be your sibling. They would still be the person that you remembered. You would still, they would still be able to connect with you and love you and, and in all important ways be human. But that if you destroy that same sibling's ability to, to control their emotions, that you would then be talking with an intelligent person with all the memories of your sibling but in fact, an entirely alien person who you wouldn't be able to relate to any longer and they would be able to relate to you. That you would destroy them as a human being. I read Damasio's book, I don't know, it came out 15, maybe 20 years ago, I can't remember. I felt it was very important. It jived really well with things that I was reading about phenomenology and others. It sort of extended into the present moment and what we know about the mind you know, right now things that I was being taught that were, you know, artists were reading in the 60s. To my, like, the way I encounter objects is very emotional, is very in the body. So, you know, when I talk about thinking with my hands, I'm not being allegorical or metaphorical. I, I really think that we think with our hands that this is the part of our bodies that we look at most. So when I'm talking to you and I'm speaking with my hands, I'm not just using them for emphasis. I'm not just using them to, you know, to add color to my words, that I'm also looking at them. 
I'm looking at you, I'm looking at them, I'm looking through them at you. I'm shaping my words, I'm shaping my ideas by looking at myself. You know, there's a, there's a feedback loop that's crucial. You know, to say like it all happens in the mind, like ah, so deeply in the body. So much happens in the body. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.